It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. If you're checking us out for the first time because your schedule's a little different, a little freer, we appreciate it. You can always get the podcast, briankilmeadeshow.com, iTunes, as well as uh, Spotify and everywhere else. Um, coming up in 30 minutes, Elaine Chow, former Secretary of Labor and Transportation, and she is the wife of Mitch McConnell. She'll be joining us on the state of the economy right now. She'll unwind what's happening. Uh, how underreported is the amount of cargo ships out of the, the off the coast of Georgia, off the coast of uh, California that just aren't being unloaded? They are just sitting there. That's our stuff. We paid for our stuff. Now, some people say it's the trucks. Some people say it's the dock workers. I think people are enjoying allowing prices to go up on everything. Hard to get a car, right? Hard to get a used car, correct? Hard to get parts, isn't it? Makes everything more valuable. Regardless, one thing about Trump, he would have picked up the phone. He would have called everybody he knew. He would have went public with his disappointment. He would have found out what was happening. He would have addressed it. Instead, nothing. Big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Most significantly, he was a courageous, dedicated servant who was Italian, who may or may not have been involved in practices at the time which are controversial today. But let's say that he was for a moment. His accomplishments were so extraordinary. And that is uh, George Pacetto. He's a Philadelphia attorney fighting to get the plywood away from the Columbus statue, fighting to keep the Columbus Day alive, not because he was a perfect person, but because he did extraordinary things that changed the world. Are we a country that really has to continue to let go of all of our past? I say no way. It's an example of putting values of our times in historic times. They will never hold up. I'll tell you why Columbus Day should stay. Number two. You can get out there. You're outdoors for the most part, at least when my children were out there doing trick-or-treating, and enjoy it. If you're not vaccinated, again, think about it, that you'll add an extra degree of protection to yourself and your children and your family and your community. Good news. The holiday I hate most, Halloween, lives as the Delta variant dies. Thanks, Anthony Fauci. After putting Christmas on hold, he decided to go trick-or-treating with us. Fantastic. Why does he still have a job? As mandate mania is infecting our nation's hospitals, schools, police, and military. Number one. There's all this talk about people wanting bipartisanship. Both times, Democratic leadership has smacked back at Republicans. If we want to encourage bipartisanship, after people actually do it, kicking them in the face is not the way to get them to want to do it again. Governor Christie, consistently the best commentator on the weekend shows. A nation divided. How President Biden has made it worse, dividing not only the country but his own party. And the effects are being felt in our streets. The economy and results may be on display best in the Virginia gubernatorial race, which is now too close to call in what has become an increasingly purple state. Terry McAuliffe was a governor before. You'd think he'd have a walkover. Now it is too close to call. In fact, he is even saying it. It's too close to call. So what is the state of the economy? If you listen to the president, all great. Cut one. In total, the job creation in the first eight months of my administration is nearly five million jobs. Jobs up, wages up, unemployment down. That's progress. When you take a step back and look at what's happening, 
We're actually making real progress. We're making consistent, steady progress, though. And thanks to bipartisan agreements, we're making progress on funding the government and raising the debt limit. Progress. 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 (laughs) Okay. The debt limit was raised because Mitch McConnell said it would be too detrimental. Let's give him another couple of months to do it. People are mad. I'm not. Eleven voted with him. They passed it. And Chuck Schumer made him feel like a schlub because he came out there and said, you never should have done this to begin with. Incredible. That's when you saw famously Joe Manchin grab, put his head in his hands, shake his head, and then eventually walk out of the speech. And he is a Democrat. So where are we at? We are not making progress because he has not passed anything, thankfully. He has not even passed the bipartisan bill mysteriously. I don't know why. So far, we were supposed to add 500,000 jobs. He added 183,000 jobs. Oh, excuse me, 194,000 jobs. 183,000 Americans dropped out of the workforce. 11 million job openings, 7 million unemployed. Can you do the math? Massive supply chain backups. Where is the urgency? And what Chris Coons is doing, he is blaming it on daycare. Oh, that's addressing the problem. Cut five. Let me focus on why those people dropped out of the workforce. It's the high cost of daycare. I have folks who work for me who are paying more for daycare than they are for their mortgage. And the challenge is finding ways to care for our seniors, our children, to provide for a lower cost of health care are exactly why we're now going to move forward with President Biden's Build Back Better agenda. But, but I mean, we do have to put it back. We do have to. Listen. His Build Back Better agenda is scary, and I think they might have something. If you can get Cinema and Manchin to agree on 1.5, they'll actually do it, and it is nuts. 40, 40 different tax increases. And if you don't think it's going to affect you, that means you're not shopping, you're not driving, you're not trying to buy a car. They're going to try to gradually, excuse me, precipitously drop gas to combustion engine. They're going to stop everything gas. Believe me, they're going to plug-ins. This natural gas is going through the roof or in this country and around the world because we have stopped transporting it, not not drilling for it, not fracking for it. So technically he's right. I didn't stop fracking. I stopped it on public lands. But I'm not letting you put it in a pipeline. I'm not letting you put in trucks. You don't have enough truck drivers. So we're going to have to go solar panel and win. It is not close to being ready. So make sense of this. We told you the Quinnipiac poll, notoriously tough on Republicans, had 38 percent approval for Joe Biden. I said it was totally real numbers. If you think about it, think about Afghanistan, think about inflation, think about his failed agenda, think about his tone when it comes to vaccines, think about the Delta variant and his lack of action and uh, vilifying those uh, who don't get the vaccine. Think about the mandate mania that he's having. Think about what he's doing with schools and teachers and everything else. Makes sense. Miraculously, CBS does a poll. They say he's 50% approval rating. How is that possible? 60, 50% approval rating, while 60% say he's not paying enough attention to inflation. While so many continue to say he has got 23% approval at the border. And the pandemic, he's at 50%. How could this be possible? So as he tries to ram his own agenda through and fails, promised by Memorial Day, he couldn't do it by Labor Day. Now he wants to do it by Halloween, and yet his approval rating goes up according to YouGov and CBS poll? I, I don't buy it. 
This guy is supposed to bring people together. That's supposed to win over independence. He's bleeding independence. Chris Christie nailed it again. Cut 16. There's all this talk about people wanting bipartisanship. But there have been two examples, George, of when Republicans have actually come over to help Democrats on, on issues. You've had the infrastructure bill in the Senate. We had 19 Republican senators come with the Democrats. And now you had the debt ceiling, where 10 came to extend the debt ceiling. And both times, Democratic leadership has smacked back at Republicans. On the infrastructure bill, a, a vote was promised by Nancy Pelosi, and she broke that promise. And now... Right after the 10 votes, Chuck Schumer goes to the floor to absolutely excoriate the Republican Party. If we want to encourage bipartisanship, after people actually do it, kicking them in the face is not the way to get them to want to do it again. And what Chuck Schumer did this week is going to make December 3rd a much deeper crisis. It's a sign of his immaturity, and it's a sign of his own concern about his own left. All I can say is I do not know why Republicans can't make those same statements. Now, evidently, behind the scenes, according to Axios, Mitt Romney and John Thune, hardly too, um, uh, too uh, high, um, you know, uh, you know, high-tempered guys, high-strung guys, went up and just blistered Manchin, just said, you, not Manchin, but Schumer, said, you do understand what you just did? Do you know how hard we had to work to get Mitch McConnell to go that direction and tell him, and try to convince others to come across the aisle. Evidently, Susan Collins did the same thing. Say so they're moderates. You might not like it. I know most of my audience, a lot of my audience is conservative. I get it. But you have to live with everybody. And somehow we've got to come together on different issues. Some there's a line in the cement. Some there's a line in the sand that can be moved. And some there should be just a compromise. Raising the debt ceiling and getting something down the line or pausing it, I don't have a problem with. you got to play the game. So in my view, and you might feel differently, and that's okay. I want to talk about the coronavirus because no one else is. In 36 states, it's going down. 50% drop in cases in Florida and Texas. Unbelievable. Great news. But no one reports that. We watch these games, the Alabama upset, the Iowa upset. We watch the, the students flood the field. We watch every, all the fans flood the field. You see hundreds of thousands of people partying in stadiums around the country. No problems. No surge. But yet we're still asking dumb questions, Anthony Fauci, is can we exhale, can we hang out with others, and can we have a Halloween? Listen to him. Cut 20. You can get out there. You're outdoors for the most part, at least when my children were out there doing trick-or-treating, um, and enjoy it. If you're not vaccinated, again, think about it, that you'll add an extra degree of protection to yourself and your children and your family and your community. You told us already outdoors is almost impossible to get it. Joe Concha, I thought, put it great. Cut 20. I am mortified, terrified, petrified, stupefied by this argument that he's making that I have to wear masks outside because I watch college football and the NFL every Saturday and Sunday. I'm seeing 70, 80, 100,000 people in stadiums across the country, and then I keep looking for the numbers to rise in those particular towns, in Madison, in Tuscaloosa. I don't see it happening because it's not happening. This is not an outdoor contagion. And yet here you have Dr. Fauci arguing that we should wear masks outside as for the president, he's the guy who wore a mask on a Zoom call with world leaders. I, I guess he doesn't understand the difference between computer virus and actual virus. It's a pretty good line. So mandate madness. Uh, it is crazy. It is hurting us because cops are uh, go choosing not to get vaccinated. 
because hospital workers on all levels, from nurses to doctors to orderlies, uh, whatever position, they're choosing not to get vaccinated. We can't afford to lose any of them. We're losing a lot of them. Hundreds of thousands of military men and women are choosing not to be vaccinated. Where are they going? Who's protecting us? Do you understand what's going on here? Why don't you find out what's going on? This is what you should say. Not telling people what to do. Say, I, I strongly recommend you go see a doctor. See your doctor, whoever you're comfortable with. Do us that favor. Spend the next, within the next two days. Go talk to a doctor. Ask all your questions to the experts. And I guarantee you, you'll feel better about getting it. And if you have an underlying condition or something your doctor tells you, I like to see it in writing and then we'll work on it. But instead, it's me with me or you're dead to me. Mandate madness. Here's an example. They did a survey and they said, why don't the vaccinated get vaccinated? 55% said they don't trust the government. In July, only 50% said that. 52% they're worried about side effects. Understood. 41 don't think it works. In July, that number was 30. 22% said they already had the virus. And there were signs that that's even more effective than getting, this is my talk, this is me now, than getting the vaccine. 11% said that was one of the reasons. You get antibodies. Flood the market with antibody tests. Get it verified. Let that be part of the vaccine mandate. Then you're in it with me instead of making people think this is big pharma trying to put a shot in me. When we come back, your calls, 1-866-408-7669. You listen to The Brian Kilmeade Show. Questioning everything. It's Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a -a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com path. A talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Most significantly, he was a courageous, dedicated servant who was Italian, who uh, may or may not have been involved in practices at the time, which are controversial today. Uh, That's even debatable. But let's say that he was for a moment. Uh, His accomplishments were so extraordinary and so courageous uh, that he really stands for uh, the pride and joy of the Italian-American mm. community. And uh, it's, a, it's a symbol. 
And that was the lawyer who's suing to make sure the 144-year-old statue in Philadelphia stays in Philadelphia. Right now, this attorney, you know, they basically won in court. But what happened is they boxed it. They boxed the statue so they can't take it down, but they don't let you see it. Why? Because Christopher Columbus, evidently, when he got to these islands, he thought African-Americans or the natives were below him or below his culture, like almost everybody thought in those days. He was a man of his times. Obviously, 1492, he would have four voyages. But it was very well by uh, in the Wall Street Journal today by Gary Kasparov. And I'll read you an excerpt. Why you keep him. The character of Columbus is little more than a rapacious villain, as simplistic and wrongheaded as the version of him as a savior hero who who proved the world was round. As usual, reality is complex and doesn't provide easy, comfortable answers. It could be said that Columbus' years of navigating the Spanish course and couriers was a greater feat than navigating the Atlantic. He was driven by diplomatic traits he employed in his dealings with indigenous communities of the Americas, where he and his men committed atrocities in the name of holy conquest. As I said, I'm not here to praise the man, but to celebrate his deeds. Columbus taught himself Latin to study ancient and medieval manuscripts for clues about the circumference of the globe on his prospective journeys. True, his calculations were wildly off, overestimating the side of Asia and underestimating the size of the globe. But he also knew that he had to make the mission look easier in order to sell it. Columbus learned, yearned to fulfill the prophecy, I did not know this, but I'll take it, of Seneca, who said, an age will offer many years, an, an age will come after many years when the oceans will loose the chains of things and huge lands well, land lie revealed. And he did in four remarkable voyages that charted and changed the world. People want to change that he was some perfect guy. He brought Christianity to the whole hemisphere. He changed everything. Do you understand? Nobody else was lined up behind him. Leave it alone because it's the beginning of fall. And what we're seeing, Washington had slaves, take them down. Jefferson had slaves, take them off the building. Abraham Lincoln made some statements that showed blacks and whites are unequal. He doesn't belong on the front of a uh, elementary school. You understand what's going on here? No, any perfect birth, there's no perfect people in our past. Mike in Daytona Beach. Mike. Brian, I got three quick points on COVID. One is we're being denied therapeutics, Brian. You know it. You speak about it, but you're a little afraid to go too far. I'm not afraid of anything. I can't speak about the same thing every day. Go ahead. Okay. Secondly, secondly, Brian, natural immunity. We're being denied that natural immunity, even by our judges, is as good or better than the vaccine. And the third thing, Brian, is we're being denied that fully vaccinated people are being hospitalized and dying from COVID. But nobody wants to get these three points out, Brian. I'm counting on you to do it, and I just did it. Yeah, well, I'll put it this way. There's, uh, there's so many breakthroughs. There's fewer breakthroughs they're finding. That's what Dr. Sapphire said on Fox & Friends an hour ago. Uh, fewer breakthroughs with natural immunity. Michelle, listen on WOKV. I'll be in Jacksonville on December 3rd uh, with my tour, President Freedom Fighter Tour. Hey, Michelle. Hey, Brian. How are you? Good. What's on your mind? Listen, a couple points. Um, first, you were speaking again about the vaccinated. Uh, they had a uh, in New York, or there was Washington Post. You can look it up, sir. <laughs> but they had out 900,000 children had been uh, were affected by COVID. They retracted it. It was 63,000. Yep, amazing. My point. I know that my point in that, in, including the vaccines, is that this is why people are so angry, as you know, and don't want to get vaccinated. They're Michelle, that plays into it, too. So the other things I brought up earlier, they don't bring up natural immunity. They don't even want to entertain it because of durability. 
Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. Well, for every order Schneider is accepting today, we could do one more that we can. So you've got half the person power you, you really could use. I could use right now, absolutely. So there is our problem, an unbelievably perfect storm. A huge wave of stuff coming into the country, a huge wave of people who want to buy it, and a hopelessly overwhelmed transportation system that wasn't ready for either one. So we talk about the backup, the, the hundreds of ships that can't get to port to unload their, unload their cargo in California and Georgia specifically and elsewhere around the country and for the most part around the world. What is going on and what can you do from the executive branch to make something happen? Who better to talk to about this, which is affecting everything we do? Did you, have you ordered something lately that might be overseas? Forget it. Elaine Chow is former Secretary of Labor and Transportation, fresh off uh, four years with President Trump. Uh, Ms. Secretary, welcome back. Thanks so much. Great to be here with you. So the, so what do you think? Can you get to the bottom of what's going on with our shipping? Is it just truck, truck drivers and dock workers, or is there something else? I think it's a whole supply chain. Basically, when our nation went into a COVID shutdown on March 13th of uh, 2020, I was Secretary of Transportation, and our number one goal was to keep the transportation supply chains open so that medical supplies, groceries, and other essentials were available. And that effort requires some extraordinary measures. Uh, for example, the department eased some restrictions on truckers so they can keep goods going. Uh, we made sure that the national airspace kept the airplanes flying, even though many of the airplanes were empty of passengers, but they carried in their bellies a very important uh, cargoes. We also... Um, made sure that truckers were being supported. Apparently, a lot of um, rest stops and uh, state uh, facilities were being closed. So we had to let uh, work with the state governments also to know that you know truckers were really, really essential. So 70% of freight travels on trucks, 30% on rail. And what we are seeing is that there's been tremendous pent-up demand for spending after the you know 18 months or so of decreased economic activity, all of us stuck in our houses, we're beginning to come out and we want to spend. But what we're seeing is that um, the new employment numbers, which just came out Friday, show that employers can't get the workers that they need. And because employers can't get the workers they need to produce what people want to buy, prices are rising and the supply chain is slowing down. So a couple of things. Can't get the workers. We have 7 million unemployed, 11 million job openings. We added 194,000 jobs. We expected to add 500,000 jobs. So with these massive supply chain backups, what gives here? What could you do from the secretary level, from the, from the, from the Oval Office to change, to change this? I think the government should not be competing with the private sector when it comes to compensation whether it's in the form of monetary benefits, debt forgiveness, rent relief, or other subsidies. Because if it does, the labor shortages that we're seeing today could become tomorrow's new normal. What we're seeing is, uh, is very clearly and very starkly reflected in what's called the labor force participation rate. When I was Secretary of Labor, uh, the labor 
rate, the labor force participation rate was about 66.4% from 2001 on average to 2008. And at times it went up to 67.9%. Now, over a workforce of 157 million workers, that's about you know, 5 million workers who have basically left the workforce and they're not coming back. So right now, the labor force participation rate, as uh, revealed, reported last Friday, was 61.6%, and it's been decreasing. Even before COVID, the number, the labor participation rate was about um, 63.3%. So what we need to do is to encourage people to, um, you know, to appeal to their patriotic sense that we need them. Workers are needed to help in the continued recovery of our economy. We also need to make workers feel that they're safe and that it's okay for them to come back. About 13.2% of employed persons are teleworking these days, but the shortage of workers is adding inflationary pressures. We're seeing all sorts of, um, you know, inflation's gone up to over 5.2%. And we're going to see continued uh, inflationary pressures. And I think for most people, um, they see it in the grocery store. You know, they see it in the cost of gasoline, food, commodity prices. And inflation is even higher than wages. So people's paychecks are going down in real terms as well. So I want you to hear what Marty Walsh, he was on Axios on HBO over the weekend. You can get it any time right now. He says 194,000 jobs added in September. Not the best number. Admits it. Cut three. People are going to have to go back into the workforce. That's what I look at and think, okay, it's one thing to take a couple months off for that, but there are bills to pay for most yeah. people. So how long can somebody actually sit Great there and question. say, I'm looking? These questions are asked every month. You What's ask the answer? Month. I don't think there is an answer. I think, again, we're living in a pandemic. Obviously, the 194 this month is not the best number, but we saw 317,000 in the private sector. So we saw, we've seen good growth in the private sector as well. President Biden laid out a plan. We just continue to follow that plan. Five million jobs in... In six months, is eight months is not bad. So what do you think about it? Well, I think we you, know. Go ahead. Well, um, you know, America is also in danger of becoming one of the highest taxed, air, taxed areas in the developed world. You know, I don't want to, um, you know, I, I don't want to, um, uh, I respect my successors, my predecessors as secretaries, and I want to uh, maintain a good relationship with them. But I think, uh, you know, the the two bills that are being talked about in Congress has um, serious implications. If we continue to flood the economy with uh, fiscal stimulants, with monetary um, um, uh, growth factors, we're going to continue to see a tremendous increase in demand. Again, as people are coming back, they want to spend. They've been, they've been saving their monies. They want to spend. And then on top of that, you know, the supply of goods and services right. are not available. Well, a couple and of things. A couple of things. When the government you, when, has to has to fix that gap. There are forty because tax. As you mentioned, we've got eleven million jobs that are vacant. There are forty tax increases in this three point five trillion dollar proposal, which they're wrestling over on a pure party line basis. And they keep saying, "Well, it's only for the rich, and we're only going to uh, raise uh, money. We're going to raise taxes on those horrible corporations." Maybe you can unwind what what actually will happen. America is in danger of becoming one of the highest taxed areas in the developed world. 130 countries have agreed to set a corporate tax rate of 15 percent, and yet we're proposing more. We're proposing raising the corporate rate to 26 percent, 28 percent from the current 21 percent. 
And uh, this means that U.S. taxes will be about 12 percent higher, 12 percentage points higher above the global um, you know, minimum. So this will give companies the incentive to relocate overseas, and the rates for small businesses will rise as well. So we're going to become less competitive. We're going to make this uh, a worse problem because we're in a global economy, and uh, by shoving, you know, by pushing more factories overseas, we're penalizing our own people, and the factories in those countries overseas can't produce and ship goods to the United States either, which is why today's Wall Street Journal article had a huge front-page above-the-fold story about how major retailers are hiring their own ships. Now, if you are a smaller company, smaller retailer, or smaller you know, manufacturer, you can't do that. So small businesses are put at a disadvantage compared to the big retailers as well. So there are all sorts of implications going throughout our country. And next week, there's going to be a new JOLT study, uh, which updates the unfilled job openings to the end of August. And I suspect that the gap between job seekers and job openings uh, will increase. So once again, the government has to be responsible stewards of the taxpayers' money. And we need to make sure that those who are vulnerable are taken care of, but that we're not flooding the economy with so much uh, spending that it hurts our financial worthiness and also um, you know, increases uh, such tremendous deficit spending. Secretary, former Secretary of Labor and Transportation, Elaine Chow, our guest. Secretary, I guess I don't have to tell you, anybody listening to me right now knows gas prices are going up. He, uh, cost of heating your home is going up because they want to transfer all of our energy to natural, to solar and wind. Now, when it comes to fracking, yeah, they continue to let people frack, but they don't let them put pipeline. There's no pipelines being built to let them transfer this. And the trucks, as we know, we're having trouble finding drivers. That's causing a global problem. I mean, what? How can you read? Doesn't don't people understand it burns clean natural gas? You're absolutely right. You've said uh, all these are all factors as well. Um, you know, we're we're seeing tremendous um, uh, pressures and uh, significant delays in the supply chain because of all of this as well. Um, you know, 30% of all containers are moving to hubs like Chicago, and uh, there's a shortage of warehouse space over there. Reportedly, 98% of warehouses in Southern California's Inland Empire are full. The entire Western United States has a mere 3.6% vacancy rate on, on warehouse space. And overall container volumes at uh, the Western ports, Port of Los Angeles, and uh, have increased 30%. Meanwhile, trucking capacity has increased only 8%. And uh, they need 25% more warehouse space out there as well. So it really adds up to a supply chain with a lot of moving parts that is not moving as quickly as we needed to. Now, Ms. Secretary, famously, um, you were in the middle of, uh, with your husband being Mitch McConnell and the guy you work for being Donald Trump, a lot of times you were refereeing two strong personalities, powerful people. Uh, You were in between them. How would you characterize your relationship with the president? I know you resigned right away after January 6th. But I know Lindsey Graham spoke out against him, so did Kevin McCarthy, and they've come around. Where do you stand? Well, you know, I think we should be looking toward the future. There are very important races coming up and very important issues facing our country, and that's what we should be focused on, the future. Right. In the future, do you think you'll be supporting him? I think we need to be focused on the future. 
Okay, so I'll take that as a no. Um, Ms. Secretary, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. All right, 1-866-408-7669. When we come back, I'll finish up with some more of your calls. I've got much more to talk about. Today's Columbus Day. A lot of you are off, and we're told it's not supposed to be Columbus Day. He's a horrible person. Is that really the case? And what I think the reason is you have to make a stand here is because if you don't stop it at Columbus, they're going to keep doing this, and we've seen it already. Take down the statue of Frederick Douglass in Rochester. I have no idea why, because he's a Republican, says you have to work hard. Take down the, the tape from a grammar school in San Francisco. Take Lincoln's name off the school. Really? Washington statue's been defiled. We've seen what's happening across the country. Even Ulysses S. Grant. Under the sub makes no sense. But we let Columbus go, and this is what happens. Don't move. Every big-name opinion maker eventually makes their way to our microphones because Brian asks the tough questions, and even some easy ones. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. My father was and still is such an influence and inspiration to me, and I credit him with really opening up my eyes to racial injustice. It's because of him that I met my first black person. (laughs) Want to take a stab in the dark at who it was? Um, I know it's sort of weird to remember the first black person you met, but OJ does leave a mark. Or several. Or none at all. I still don't know. She was so funny. I, I was like a roast. Obviously... This is what I respect so much about her. She prepares for everything. She was, you know, she knows all the critics, what they're going to say. She came out there and a lot of the stuff was making fun of who she is and who she isn't. Um, she, she, you'll hear it throughout the show today. We'll play a little of it. But the whole monologue was rapid, almost like the Catskills or one of those, those roasts, celebrity roasts. One after another, she was mocking everybody in her life. Self-deprecating Kim Kardashian. That that adds. I mean, that. Oh, she was also taking shots at everybody in her life. No, that's true. That's true too. But she, you know, adding the self-deprecation does uh, help uh, warm people up to you. I don't know, Eric. Do you know if she's divorced? Have you looked into this? I mean, is this is this? I do not believe they are divorced. So she's sticking with him. As far as I know, yeah. Do we have any more? I've been very blessed in this life, and I'm grateful for everything. Honestly, all the ups, all the downs. I mean, I married the best rapper of all time. Not only that, he's the richest black man in America, a talented, legit genius who gave me four incredible kids. So when I divorced him, you have to know it came down to just one thing, his personality. So, I mean, okay. It's, I mean, it's again, funny. she's very candid about her, about herself, her life. I mean, basically, though, she has to be somewhat used to it. She's been an open book for decades and decades with her high social media following and her reality shows. Right. Do we have anything else? I know that sounds mean, but people keep telling me that comedy comes from truth. And if there's one thing that I always strive to be, it's genuine. So I just want to say how incredibly excited I am to be up here on this stage tonight. I mean, I'm so used to having 360 million followers watching my every move. And I mean, how many people watch SNL? Like 10 million? So tonight, 
Tonight is just a chill, intimate night for me. So it was pretty good. Uh, she also talked about Caitlyn. Do we, do we have that one? By I'm an influencer, so I understand that the things that I say carry weight. But, you know, I would never tell anyone what they can or can't do. Remember, I'm a Kim, not a Karen. And honestly, with all of the K names, it's really impressive that my mom didn't pick Karen. I mean, somehow she just knew. I don't know how she saw that one coming and not Caitlyn. <laughs> Which is, yeah, we still haven't unlocked that mystery, but... Caitlyn Jenner wished us a happy 25th. So you 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 having the uh, the stand up comedian background. I mean this is I mean you saw a lot of what is successful. she got the best writers and knocked it out. She yep. probably hired a great writer. I don't bet you didn't even use SNL writers because their openings have been terrible. The cold open was awful. Out of everything they had to pick, they picked instead of General Milley, they you know they picked the Facebook guy and it was just not funny. Just okay, the the congressmen were out of touch. I got it. Meanwhile, the other big story I think that we should watch is this gubernatorial race in Virginia. And Terry McAuliffe thought he'd have a walkover at Virginia, won, for, I think, 12 points, one to Joe Biden. He had won that race before, so he thought he'd win easily. Right now, it is too close to call. Here is some of his answers he gave yesterday shows why it's too close. He believes critical race theory didn't happen. Parents should have a say in education. And when asked about Joe Biden, he says, Biden's hurting my party. That's not a way to unite. Cut 30. Let's talk education. Fox News came out with a poll the other day. Parents overwhelmingly support me on education. Why? I put a billion dollars in as governor before. I redid all of our schools. I got rid of five SOLs. I have a very serious plan on education. $2 $2 billion investment, raising teacher pay, getting at-risk three- and four-year-olds pre-K. Everybody gets access to, access to broadband. That's a real plan. Glenn Youngkin, literally, his plan, Washington Post editorial, 43,000 teachers will be cut. We're down 1,100 teachers. In addition, it is a Donald Trump, Betsy DeVos plan of moving money from public to private. I will never allow that as government. Right. Here's more. Cut 29. We don't teach critical race theory. This is a made-up, this is a Trump, Betsy DeVos, uh, Glenn Youngkin plan to divide people. Okay, and, and, and that really- is, we know that's not true. We've been watching all these parents get up there, not Democrat or Republican, just parents get up there and be outraged about what's happening in Virginia with so many districts' education. He is way off there when it comes to parents, too. I think most parents are going to say, I want control. And when they talk about private school, they want to take the public school money and bring it to private school because these schools aren't doing what they're supposed to. Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're with me on this Columbus Day. It's a holiday for many, so your schedule has changed. Hopefully you're checking out our show for the first time in a long time, or you're back with us. We appreciate it. If you ever miss it, you can go to briankilmeadeshow.com. Click on a podcast on iTunes, on Spotify, or iHeart. You'll get it everywhere. Radio.com, too. Uh, This hour, we're going to be joined by Michael Goodwin of the New York Post and by Harold Ford, a clear-thinking Democrat who gave great advice to Democrats, and they didn't take it last week. He said, go get the win. 
The bipartisan $1.2 trillion is a win. It would have made Joe Biden look like a deal maker and done something Donald Trump didn't do. Instead, they linked it with something that's not palatable for most of the American people. So that's why we're in hyperspace. Let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Most significantly, he was a courageous, dedicated servant who was Italian, who may or may not have been involved in practices at the time, which are controversial today. But let's say that he was for a moment. His accomplishments were so extraordinary. Yeah, that is uh, George Pachetto. He's a Philadelphia attorney looking to make sure and get the plywood away from the statue of Columbus. It surrounds the statue because the judge said it has to stay. That means the people of Philadelphia don't have to look at it. The man that discovered the new world, not worthy. We'll discuss why exactly this is wrong and why you have to put make sure Columbus is, is, um, is re- recognized or else they're coming for everybody else. And we've seen it already. Number two. You can get out there. You're outdoors for the most part, at least when my children were out there doing trick-or-treating. And enjoy it. If you're not vaccinated, again, think about it, that you'll add an extra degree of protection to yourself and your children and your family and your community. You believe this guy, Anthony Fauci? Halloween lives as the Delta variant dies. Thanks, doctor. After putting Christmas on hold, he decides we can go trick-or-treating. You mean outdoors with kids who are not vulnerable for the most part and outdoors where this virus doesn't spread? Why does this guy still have a job? Meanwhile, the mandate mania is infecting our nation's hospitals, schools, police and military. Number one. There's all this talk about people wanting bipartisanship. Both times, Democratic leadership has smacked back at Republicans. If we want to encourage bipartisanship after people actually do it, Kicking them in the face is not the way to get them to want to do it again. Chris Christie so often says what more Republicans are forgetting to say. Use logic to understand what's going on in the world today. A nation divided. How President Biden has made it worse, dividing not only the country, but his own party. And the effects are being felt in our streets and the economy. And results might be on display best in the Virginia gubernatorial race, which is now too close to call. And that seemingly... Purpler and purpler state, if that's a word. Uh, let's bring in Michael Goodwin, New York Post columnist, Fox News contributor. His latest article about Mayor de Blasio getting rid of the gifted program, which is a trend nationwide. Let's level the playing field and bring everyone down. Um, Michael, welcome back. Good morning, Brian. Thank you. A couple of things. I want to bring you to what Chris Christie commented on. He noticed that Charles Schumer gets up after Mitch McConnell takes a political risk and raises the debt ceiling. And he goes, he rips Mitch McConnell for even trying it. And then you have Joe Manchin, who reached across the aisle, and as Kristen Cinema, who did not reach across the aisle but holds firm. And Joe Biden's perfectly okay with watching that harassment take place. It's basically it comes with the territory. I mean, is this any way to bring the country together? No, it's it, Chris Christie is right that uh, I thought Schumer's speech was. Uh, Disgraceful. Uh, there was a moment of agreement. Why trash it? Why, why not give the other side incentives for cooperating? I mean, that's sort of ordinary common sense that people practice every day in their lives. But again, Congress seems to be on another planet. But you know, Brian, it, it, we have to assume that these politicians are not acting in the dark. And so when Schumer does that, He has a target audience in mind. 
he knows there is somebody out there um, who will appreciate that, who will like that, who will give him credit for that. And that, we know, is the far left that that doesn't believe in any compromise, that believes you have to, you know, everything is a war to the death and that you must not just win, but you must crush and you must uh, pour salt down your enemies' wells and and throw bodies in them so that they can never live again. I mean, it's that kind of ment- medieval mentality that Schumer is practicing, but that's who that's who contributes to the campaigns. That's who goes on social media and rants and raves about you know Republicans all ought to be locked up and and just just. Uh, crush them with our policies and, you know, eliminate uh, any uh, semblance of uh, Christopher Columbus or George Washington or anybody. That's who Schumer is talking to in that speech. And it tells you who's really guiding the Democratic Party. Yeah, uh, I guess so. And because you have a group of moderates who are not going along with this, who the president could embrace. And just say, I'm 78 years old. This is what I've done. I'm, this is how I'm going to go out. The moderates helped me get a bipartisan deal. I'm going to take the win. That's what I'm going to talk to Harold Ford about. But also, I think they're going to have a problem because once you get Manchin and Cinema, if you indeed get them, there's some other moderate House members that are not buying this. They're not in on this. So they're being they're laughing at the fact that no one's even talking to them. This guy, Gerald Golden, says, I strongly support the bipartisan bill. And I think the House should pass and send it to the president immediately. As for the 3.5 reconciliation proposal, I cannot support it in the current form, nor does it currently have the votes to pass in Congress. No one's even talking to the House. They just keep looking at these two senators. And now Kirsten Cinema evidently is going to run the Boston Marathon in about an hour. And they're going to harass her for all 26 miles. Why is this okay? I I don't know much about her. The more I read about her, she was more independent than Democrat, who really liked John McCain and is representing what traditionally was a red state. Yeah, look, I think one of the things that is true, and it's been true periodically throughout history, but that the... The party lockstep mentality now, I think, is is destroying everything that's that's good about our government. Uh, when when your party demands that you act in conformity, and Republicans have done this too, and they are guilty of it also. So you're putting party before country, and and I know that's a cliche, but. Clearly, right now, what the country needs is more of a, of a centrist mentality so that the center should hold. That's what holds the country together. If you let the left and right just go at each other without any moderating influence, then you just have this viciousness. Now, that doesn't mean that, that there isn't a place for partisanship. There is. Uh, but it's got to have some restraint. And right now, particularly, particularly with the Democrats, we're seeing a party without restraint because, as you say, they're ignoring the moderates, they're demonizing the moderates. And I was shocked, as I'm sure you were, when Joe Biden said when Kristen Sinema was, a, was criticized and followed into the bathroom and filmed in the bathroom, uh, Biden said that was just part of the process. When did it become part of the process? When did that become okay? But there's Joe Biden giving it his blessing. 
couple of things. In New York City, the one thing about Governor Cuomo, he was Italian and saw the merits in leaving Columbus alone and what it meant to the Italian community in New York City. I'm not too—this governor looks awful, Hochul, way out of her league, way to the left, as radical as it comes, just emptying out Rikers again. Nine of the people she said can leave for which she claimed minor offenses are being locked up, including one violent criminal. We see this. So just quickly, I want you to hear uh, the attitude when it comes to— the fight, the pushback when it comes to Columbus. In Philadelphia, they're in a heated battle to take down this statue. Cut 24 is the lawyer talking about what it represents. Most significantly, he was a courageous, dedicated servant who was Italian, who uh, may or may not have been involved in practices at the time, which are controversial today. Uh, That's even debatable. But let's say that he was for a moment. Uh, His accomplishments were so extraordinary and so courageous uh, that he really stands for uh, the pride and joy of the Italian-American community. And uh, it's a a symbol. Gary Kasparov had a very revealing, insightful article in The Wall Street Journal today, too, essentially saying this guy studied Latin, studied old manuscripts to get clues to the circumference of the planet— he was able to sell this, uh, the Spanish queen on this journey. He went and did it, took tremendous risks. Uh, he, did, he pulled off this mission, and his quote was, he tried to fulfill Seneca's vision that someday the oceans will unlock a great land. So an age will come after many years when the oceans will loose the chains of things and a huge land will be revealed. It fueled him, and he did it. Nobody else could get it done. He did it. Four journeys. He changed the world. Now, how he acted when he got there, that's another story. But was Lincoln perfect? No. Lincoln had views on race that would be looked as racist today, but then it was ahead of his time. Was Washington perfect? No. He had slaves. If you go back and find some statement of somebody, somebody will somebody will disappoint you. It started with Columbus, Michael. People look the other way and say, well, what's the big deal? And they're coming for everybody else. I think it's important to push back on Columbus where it started. You know, Brian, I think I think there is a very large issue at stake here. And it, for the future, who will our children look up to? Uh, who will future generations regard as heroes of America? And if we're going to tear down every person, I mean, I'm sure you can name the three boats that that Columbus came on. That's right. We all sang that song in school, right? Uh, and, and, And we knew that. So things like that are what unite a country. I mean, believe it or not, that that simple things like that give us a shared sense of history, a shared sense of belonging. But now it's all being destroyed. It's being destroyed largely in the name of race, on the on the issue of income, on the issue of ethnicity. All of these things are are divisive and intentionally so. And that's what's so disturbing about it. it it's it's this idea that we must focus on our differences. We must tear each other apart. It's a competition for supremacy. That's how the left wants us to teach teach about America, that there are good guys and bad guys based on race and ethnicity and religion. I mean, that is an absolute formula for chaos, for, for 
endless fighting and for ultimately the disunion of the country because it simply won't stand if we have a civil war constantly. We've got to have some sense of shared history and shared values, and the left is only about the supremacy of their values. That's what is so destructive about what they're doing. Uh, No question. So you wrote today, and this is why it's a national story, that Mayor de Blasio, one of his exits, thinks he's getting rid of the gifted program in New York where the gifted would be taught by elite teachers uh, with other elite students. Nothing is wrong with that. It's a meritocracy in life. We all have different skills. Um, that elite student might need, might need a cabinet maker to make their furniture, and this guy might be the only one to be able to have the money to pay it or this woman. I mean, the way things work, you work your way up. These are gifted students. They want to make, they want to level the playing field and say, well, let's just put them with the regular population. I, I, I can't believe we're accepting this. You know, Brian, if you if you turn the formula around and you said, okay, we're going to take the the disabled students, the people with maybe you know, serious uh, disabilities in some way, and we're going to put them in with regular students. So we're not going to have any more special classes for uh, students who can't keep up. We're going to put everybody together. People would say, it's an outrage. My child has special needs. My child has, has developmental disabilities and therefore cannot keep up. Well, that's what we're saying about the gifted and talented kids, too. They have special needs, too. They need to be challenged beyond where the norm is. I mean, I've heard of of students, there are classes, for example, in some gifted and talented programs where the seventh graders are doing ninth grade math. Now, not every kid in seventh grade could do ninth grade math. I certainly couldn't. But those kids who can, they have to be challenged too. Absolutely. They, they, their, their intelligence level must be raised by challenges. And yet society, this, again, the left looks down on that, that this is somehow, this is somehow a privilege that only goes to certain people. And by that they mean whites and Asians. Uh, and yet, the, so they want to destroy the whole system because the uh, end results do not correspond with the population statistics of each ethnic and racial group. Again, it comes down to race. It comes down to ethnicity and religion and skin color. That is their metric for everything. And if it doesn't equal out, then it must be destroyed. So it's income. Income breaks that way. Oop. Let's have socialism. Uh, Education breaks that way. No, same for everybody. I mean, this is what destroys individual liberty and individual character, which is an assault on merit. Yeah, my hope is that uh, Eric Adams uh, doesn't think the same thing unless Curtis Lee can pull up an upset. I know he'll restore it. Uh, Michael Goodwin, thanks so much. My pleasure, Brian. Thank you. Mayor de Blasio, the worst. one 408 Then Harold Ford at the bottom of the hour. Brian Kilmeade Show. Expanding your knowledge base. It's Brian Kilmeade. With Fox News Podcasts Plus, you can enjoy all your favorite Fox News podcasts without commercials. Subscribe now at foxnewspodcasts.com. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. 
Hey, welcome back, everybody. Uh, just quick note, uh, I'm going to do uh, the, the President Freedom Fighter comes out November 2nd. It's Abraham Lincoln, Frederick Douglass, and the battle to save America's soul, how they worked differently, came from impossible odds, and ended up uh, working together to bring us through the Civil War and hopefully beyond. They had big plans until uh, John Wilkes Booth uh, shot him. Uh, I talk about that in the book, but I'm going to be talking about all this on stage, all my history books and the winning the war on uh, on history. I'm going to be stopping in Orlando November 21st. I'll be December 3rd in Ponte Vedra. So Orlando, WDBO listeners especially, hope to see you all out there. It's also an excuse for me to get a chance to see the listeners, which is uh, arguably the, uh, the most enjoyable. Uh, I'll be December 3rd. December 4th, I'll be in Clearwater. Very few tickets for December 3rd and 4th. We got some in Orlando left, and we have some in West Virginia. That's November 7th. Let me see. Yeah, Orlando is November 21st at the Plaza Live. And just go to BrianKilney.com. You click on tickets, and I'll have a chance to uh, see you in person. It's always a great time. Steve, let's see. Another one of my affiliates I hope to stop at in WHIO. Hey, Steve. Hi, Brian. Thanks for taking my call. I had a comment about the gentleman you were speaking with earlier about de Blasio wanting to uh, get rid of uh, advanced or accelerated classroom stuff. He had made the comment, the hypothetical comment about, you know, what about a special needs person that uh, gets mainstreamed into a classroom? It's happening. My wife uh, works at an elementary school here, and it causes a disruption for the rest of the students that are trying to learn. You know, we need special education classes. Absolutely. And there's special teachers for that. And you need more personalized teaching. And I know that. And that's why there's always a need. My daughter's going for elementary ed in high school. And the first thing they said in college, first thing they says, if you do special needs, there'll be a job for you right away. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Leader McConnell and Senate Republicans insisted they wanted a solution to the debt ceiling, but said Democrats must raise it alone by going through a drawn-out, convoluted, and risky reconciliation process. That was simply unacceptable to my caucus. That was unbelievable. At that time, you see Joe Manchin over his left shoulder, putting his hand over his head, shaking his head, and then getting up and walking out. Axios reported over the weekend that Mitt Romney, as cool as it comes, as well as John Thune, met Schumer in the hall and berated him, and Susan Collins was beside herself. I just described three of the calmest people you'll ever meet in your life. And I think outside my next guest, Harold Ford, former congressman from Tennessee, now a Fox News contributor. That's at the top of his resume. And he's uh, chairman of Rx Saver. Uh, Harold, welcome back. Where would you have been? If I put Harold Ford over the left shoulder of Chuck Schumer, what would you have been? What would you be your facial expression? First off, good morning, and uh, thanks for having me on, and, and thanks for the, for the for the kind words. The um, yeah, I, I thought that was just bad form. I, I, you know, I think politics in the Senate has become, and I wouldn't have done that. And I, I think I think if you give Chuck Schumer a do-over, he he wouldn't do it. But that was not that was not a a, a profile encouraged moment. I, I think what Joe Manchin, and probably listening to your characterization of what happened, I heard the same thing with with Romney and with Collins. I mean, I think everyone is understanding that the moment is so tense and the moment is fraught with such 
you know, um, a fragility and that it can all come apart at any given moment that you, you don't want to, you want to take these moments and, and try to build on them. Um, so look, he's not alone. Schumer's not alone in doing, having those kind of moments. I think the other party does it as well, but it's no excuse. Uh, uh, when you, when you are trying to raise the debt ceiling, you get it done. Uh, you, you take the victory and you move on to the next challenge. And, uh, again, I wish he hadn't done that. So where, what does it mean from here on in? What do you expect is going to happen by Halloween? This is the four things they say that the Democratic Party has to do. Joe Biden. He has to raise the debt ceiling. He has to fund the government. He has to get the $1.2 trillion bipartisan deal and the 3.5 in some way, shape, or form passed before the end of the year. How? So it'll be a challenge. First, on the debt ceiling, I think they should take the moment and redo the redo the debt ceiling conversation, uh, or redo the debt ceiling mechanism. We shouldn't have to vote on that as a as a Congress. They shouldn't, and the country shouldn't have to go through this circus every every nine to eighteen months, depending on when it is. This is money that we've already spent. So what they probably should do is, in every piece of legislation, be it a, a revenue raiser or a tax cut put a sentence or two in every one of them, it says that the, the debt ceiling will automatically be raised if this bill does not generate all the revenue that the authors and the supporters of it believe that it will. So if you think your spending bill is going to be net neutral or should say not run the debt up, if you think your tax bill is not going to run the debt up, if it does, then the debt ceiling gets automatically increased. Now, to your point, there's no way they're going to pass a $3.5 trillion, just to do it in reverse, a $3.5 trillion uh, spending bill. I mean, you, you see the you see some of the Democrats, including Joe Manchin and Kristen Sinema, saying they're not going to. The most they could go would be two trillion. So you're already now starting at two trillion from uh, zero to two trillion, and probably more realistic, one and a half to two trillion. Uh, and you know, I think the Democrats first and foremost should just grab the grab the infrastructure victory that's in front of them. I mean, it's a trillion dollar package. We need it. The Chinese have spent ten trillion over the last several years and are slated to spend five to ten more over the next several. Here we are wrangling over one trillion and we have supply chain challenges. We obviously have the physical infrastructure infrastructure challenges in the country. This is a down payment on that. The stuff they want to spend on otherwise, I think there's some some valuable things there. I think universal pre-K is something every family should have. I think we should have child care. Uh, for moms who are trying to reenter the workforce and families who have that challenge, is it worth? Is it? Do we have to spend three and a half trillion? No. Is it? Is it two trillion? I don't know, but certainly I know it's a number, and we need to figure out. Democrats need to lay out why they want to spend this money and what the, you know, what the priorities are. So everyday Americans who are totally lost in this conversation, and that that, that the fact that they're lost, it's translating into them. I believe voting, I should say, signaling that they're not in favor of what the Democrats are doing or, or not in favor of what Joe Biden's trying to do. And the polling numbers uh, clearly, clearly reflect that. The thing they have to do, Brian, is to get the government funded. You know, I was in Congress 10 years. I don't recall a time. I think it was one time, maybe two, but I think it was just once where we passed the budget on time, meaning we let you know, the September 30, which is the, the government's on an October 1, Octo- October 1, September 30 calendar year uh, for the, how they fund the government. We never funded it in a, in a timely fashion. And I, I think when, when if, if Americans, everyday Americans knew that, I think they would be more appalled than they already are. Um, but they need to get that has to get done. The government needs to be funded. And then you get to the other two things, the infrastructure and the uh, and the, the, the more human infrastructure bill that you mentioned as well. All right. So I don't I haven't seen the numbers. 
But if I if I if I say to you, I believe everybody should have an iPhone. I believe everyone, uh, you know, should have a laptop or an iPad. Okay, but at what cost? There's always going to be something to pay for that. Do you think it's possible to actually have federally funded universal pre-care as well as daycare? I do. You know, the only one of the only things that I thought that the the mayor of New York uh, did well. Uh, the current mayor who is on his way out because we have a mayor's race. I thought the universal pre-K for, for families uh, was a, was a smart thing. And also there's not a, there's not a provision, at least not that I'm aware of that we would provide uh, some form of technology or smartphones for, for people. But I think that would, that would be something I would want to be supportive of as well, because I think once you do that, you really make the case also for the why for some of the broadband improvements uh, that we need happening in the country. And you give people, you know, some sort of common denominator where they can access information. But I think you I think you asked the right question, Brian. How, what's the cost of it and what's the cost of, of not doing it? Clearly, there's a you know, if you don't do it, you don't spend that money. But do you disadvantage communities from, you know, in communities of, of families whose kids are in school who want to attract new investment to their communities? New investment by that, I mean, jobs and companies wanting to come. If you and I ran Kill Me Technology and we were thinking we had a 5,000 jobs to place someplace in the country. Uh, one of the things we would look at would be the education levels, and probably even more important, it would be the technology capacity and capabilities of a community. So if communities don't have laptops, don't have smartphones, don't have Wi-Fi, don't have broadband, and we're a technology company, by definition, kill, kill me technology, we're not going to go there, not because we don't like those communities, but because those communities of workers, that community of workers cannot satisfy or support you know, our company. So I think that investment, I think we, we should look at those kinds of things. Now, there's some there's some parts of the bill that I've, that I've, I've seen uh, laid out. I mean, they're greening the whole economy. They're basically greening the whole well, economy. Well, you know, green, that's, so that's a different question. Greening the economy in, uh, in, in a, a way that's going to position us to compete but against Harold, China. But it's all in the same bill. China. The only reason I bring it up is because well, no. it's all in the same bill. No, no, I know it is. That's why I'm yeah. saying I'm different. So that part of it, I think you have to look at. You asked the right question. What's the cost of not doing any of these things? Now, for me, I'm just giving you my metric. I think finding ways for every community, rural or urban alike, to be suburban alike, to be attractive for companies to come, for Kill Me Technology to come. Two, whatever is going – in terms of an infrastructure, uh, and whether it's green or physical or human, what's going to allow us to compete better – against uh, our economic uh, competitors and adversaries, and even military uh, competitor, uh, adversaries. And China has risen to the top of that list, has been at the top of the list for some time. So if, if China is dominating the green energy space, uh, and they're thinking about 5, 10, 15, 20 years out, I think we would be foolish. I think we'd be short-sighted of us not to look at that as well. Now, are there some things that are excessive? But Harold, there's the no bill? sign. That, Brian, but there probably the, are. But, but here's the thing, Harold. The people... I told him to Congressman Harold Ford, if if our if everybody was greening at the same time, we're doing something that maybe in 20, 30 years we'll look at responsible or maybe we'll look at it as an overreaction or not plausible. It turns out it didn't pan out. At the same time, China and Russia, the people we're competing with on every level, is not doing this. I mean, they're the oil and gas they're using, the uh, coal that they're still burning. They were able to keep their industries rolling to make that infrastructure, to be able to do their Belt and Road program. We are taking our great strength and deciding the responsible thing to do is to bring it to heel. And I just wonder if that's in our national interest. 
So I think I think you, you raise again. The, I think the right the right points. And you look at China is, has invested massively in what we would broadly call the green energy space: solar, wind, electric vehicles. Their market uh, they could they could dominate the global market if they are left to their own own devices. Now, are they also participating in 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 in, in, in the sort of what we would call the, the fossil fuel, even the that the older fuel, older fuel sources, of course they are. In fact, you see the numbers now. You know, the hydrocarbon space has seen a renaissance in terms of demand and a lack of supply. We can look at gas prices, and we can look at even coal prices. Coal prices per ton are selling $200 a ton, uh, more than it's sold in almost 15, 16, maybe 17 years. And that's a, largely because of a confluence of things as the, world, as the world looks like it does now. But you think back during the Cold War in the 80s, thankfully Reagan – understood that investing heavily in our military, even fighting Democrats and even some Republicans who wished that he was not spending as much as he did, it paid an enormous dividend. Obviously, we, we invested to, def, to dethrone communism. We invested in surely yeah. technologies and attendant technologies, including the Internet came out of it. So the, there are things that I think we, we should – don't get me wrong. I'm not advocating $3.5 trillion, Brian, but I am advocating something far more than what we're doing. And as much as China and Russia and others are engaging in the old energy space, um, if we believe that following Russia, which, whose economy I think is no bigger than Texas's, uh, that, may, that may be a slight exaggeration, but their, their economy has shrunk over the years. They are largely an irrelevant economy. They've become more relevant because of, because of what they do on the cyber, the cyber attack space. But from an economic standpoint, the challenge is, is China. And we have to figure out ways in which I think investing now and doing smart things. And I'm not saying everything in that three and a half trillion is the right thing to do, but I am saying for anyone who dismisses it categorically, I think you're just you, right. you're not. But some people are. I think we have uh, to look at what you the question you asked from the outset. What's the cost benefit analysis of doing this and not doing this? We can have a debate about it. We can have a vote on it. Some some of my some of my points are going to win. Some are going to lose, and likely some of yours will win and lose as well. But I don't think Congress today, Republican or Democrat alike, they're so focused on the politics and the optics of the politics as opposed to the numbers and where the investment will land America competitively 5, right. 10, 15 years down the line. I think about it that way. I could be wrong, but that's how I approach well, a couple of things. we're talking about. I have something you can really relate to. I, I have something you really can relate to. I, when I see about pre-K, I, I never went to preschool. I think 50% of the, my people my age didn't go to preschool. All right, so now preschool is deemed important, but when you do it from the federal government or state level, it's usually not as effective. Maybe you can fold it into the current school system where you put kindergartners. I like to see education experts talk about that. Now, when it comes to daycare, I know for a fact you waited longer in your life, even though you were successful, uh, to have kids. You made a decision. I remember after I got married, I waited three years to have kids. You know why? Couldn't afford it. And I just think every when you think about having, I'm not telling people not to have kids, but there are certain things that we are responsible for as Americans. You know, I'd like to get a bigger house, but right now it makes no sense. I'm not going to be able to get another car if I'm going to get a big house. I, I don't want to carry this debt. I'm worried about missing payments. I'd rather have peace of mind. I don't get a bigger house. I, if, I, if I have three kids and I say, well, now who's going to take care of them? How responsible am I? Now, there are circumstances that happen to people where things get out of their control. But I also think there's a great segment of the country that has to say to themselves, I'm responsible for my own actions. If I need – if I have to have two working kids, two working parents, I'm going to have to wait a while before I have that third kid or the first kid. 
And I think that if we keep looking to Joe Biden or Donald Trump to answer these questions for us, I think that's a huge issue. we got to take responsibilities when we can for our own lives. How do you feel about that? Is that too much of an overstatement in your mind? Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't, you know, I, I think there are a whole range of reasons why people, you know, what my dad is one of 15 kids uh, and his parents, they grew up, they didn't grow up with much money. Uh, all the kids went to elementary, middle school, high school, graduate, all of them went to college. How much did they pay for uh, daycare? They grew up in a, they grew up, well, the, so the, the world has changed since, and even since we grew up, my mom was a stay-at-home mom. She was able, my family was able to do that. I think we live in an era now, in, in a world now where that is not nearly as, as prevalent as it once was. And frankly, as a, I'm a father of a daughter, I hope she does everything she wants to do and is not limited by societal norms. Two, the health reasons why kids when they there's no doubt it doesn't, doesn't negate your point about people being responsible. But at the same time, the child care piece is just a, a tax credit. If we believe that providing tax credits to incentivize certain investments and incentivize certain activity in our economy is smart, I happen to think that child care is one of those things because I want families to be able to – I think when you have two brains working in society to try to solve problems and advance America, I think it's – in a household, I think, it's, I think it's wonderful. You have two sets of hands. You have two sets of efforts. I think it's a, I think it's a positive thing. But being responsible, there's no doubt. Running up debts you can't, you can't, you know, you can't sustain or you can't, you can't afford, all of, that, all of that is right. But pre-K in our, in our country and universal pre-K, it's a different conversation when it, when it was, when, what should say, than what, it, than what would have been or should have happened when you and I were growing up because the workforce was not nearly as open to, to, to women and, for that matter, gotcha. to young women uh, at, at all ages. So I, I just think we should be – I know where, I know where you, the, res, the financial responsibility piece, I, I couldn't agree with you, you, you more. But I think there are a lot of middle-class families who are responsible who simply cannot – afford to do these things. And I think we should, I'm not saying we give people, you know, give people something that they don't, that, that, that they hadn't earned. But if you want to work and you are working and you have a child or you have two. I know. It's just, and I who pays that, for I, it? We, we I just decided. Well, you hear the music, Harold. Unfortunately, we're just getting into it. It's not as long as the five, but at least Gutfeld's not here cutting you off. Um, <laughs> thanks, thanks so much, Harold. Appreciate it. Great conversation. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on The Brian Kilmeade Show. But the one thing I'm really proud of is that no one could ever call me a gold digger. Honestly, I'm not even sure how you become one. So I asked my mom's boyfriend, Corey. It's so funny. I mean, it was funny. It was just, I mean, I don't even know these people, but I know roughly what's going on in that show that now stopped. And that's why I remember that Bruce Jenner came in, and I didn't know much about the Kardashians then, but they were just breaking out, and there was something going on with her porn tape or whatever that was. Um, And I remember him saying, you know, look out for Kim she is such a great businesswoman. I go, why? Because she's doing stuff on the internet. She's monetizing it already. I'm like, how do you monetize the internet? Twitter hasn't even found out how to do it. She did. She got so many followers, and I don't know if she got an advertising agency or she just did it herself. So these cosmetics and things would advertise. Say, would you tweet out something for these cosmetics? She would try the product if she liked it, supposedly in theory. She would actually tweet something out. And that 
endorsement directly to her followers was was cutting edge and groundbreaking. I don't want to. I'm just saying. And when they came in, everyone's. I expected the worst. These these three were going to be in love with themselves. I found them unbelievably down to earth, very practical, very approachable. And uh, that's why when when she was hosting SNL after their record low ratings, evidently they ticked up significantly, right? 26%. About 26%, yeah, from yeah. the all-time low open that they ever had. Yeah. I know I'm talking way too much about the Kardashians. I, I never thought I would. I used to like sports. What happened? What happened? Next stop, you'll be watching the reality show. Reruns. Yeah, I will not be watching the reality show. Thank you. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach, it's Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Brett Baer will join me at the bottom of the hour. We'll be having uh, a great fun up until then and getting a lot, lot of insight and excitement. Happy Columbus Day. Hope everyone's still celebrating it. It's very important we do not to ignore everything bad he did, but to look at all the great things he did. He changed the world and just be aware of people who are trying to change America. So let's get to the big three as we come to you from New York and around the country. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Most significantly, he was a courageous, dedicated servant who was Italian, who may or may not have been involved in practices at the time, which are controversial today. But let's say that he was for a moment. His accomplishments were so extraordinary. Yeah, uh, pretty extraordinary. I thought it was a given. Columbus Day. Are we as a country ready to let it go? I say no way. It's an example of putting values of our times on historic times. You can't do it. They will never hold up. I'll tell you why. Columbus Day should stay or else others will fall. Number two. You can get out there. You're outdoors for the most part, at least when my children were out there doing trick-or-treating. And enjoy it. If you're not vaccinated, again, think about it, that you'll add an extra degree of protection to yourself and your children and your family and your community. Hollywood, Halloween lives as the Delta variant dies. Thank you, Anthony Fauci. After putting Christmas on hold last week, he decided we can go trick-or-treating this week. Why does he still have a job? As a mandate mania continues to infect our nation's hospitals, police forces, schools, and military. Number one. There's all this talk about people wanting bipartisanship. Both times, Democratic leadership has smacked back at Republicans. If we want to encourage bipartisanship after people actually do it, kicking them in the face is not the way to get them to want to do it again. I agree. And that is, of course, Chris Christie, a nation divided. How President Biden has made it worse, dividing not only the country, but his own party. And the effects are being felt on our streets, the economy, and the results may be on display best in the Virginia gubernatorial race. We're out of nowhere. The Republican is closing the gap. And we'll begin right there. I think it's too close to call. And I think if you look at uh, if you look at what's happening with Terry McAuliffe and Youngkin, you see these two neck and neck because they disagree on issues that are valuable, not uh, eccentric. We're not talking about the Iraq war or Afghanistan dismount. We're talking about a competence of a government and an agenda of a party. 
and does it work for the American family? And I say no, and in fact is they can't even implement it with such slight majorities. And why does a governor's race in Virginia matter? Because if a Republican can win and you're trying to figure out where we're heading in 2022, this is indicative of what has to change if you're a Democrat. The fact that he is even close is something for the operatives to understand that things are changing in this country. The momentum is clearly on the Republican side because the Democrats can't even get their side together. And the side in which they have jumped to is the liberal Democrat side, the extremist side, where there's about 100 in the House, not the moderates, where there are less, but they more moderate, moderates are much more amenable and acceptable to this center-right country. That's my view. I'll talk to Brett a little bit more about it. But about this race, it comes down to schools. It comes down to critical race theory. It comes down to uh, comes down to spending. It comes down to the free market. And if you want to see what's happening, you have Terry McAuliffe running saying, my problem is, caught on a conference call, Joe Biden is very unpopular with the people of Virginia. Really? In Virginia, you got 12 more points on the average than Donald Trump. What happened in nine months? Because we saw Joe Biden govern. We saw him garble up speeches, come off so angry, refuse to take any questions, blow the Afghanistan uh, blow the Afghanistan dismount. You see him trying to get back into the Paris deal we're in. He's trying to re- go back into the Iranian deal. Even they're laughing at him. We see the ambassador of France get recalled because we're ignoring our allies. Never consulted NATO before we pulled out. And he's seeing how horrible the tone and tenor is. Now, before I go to overall, I just want to finish off on the Virginia race. Terry McAuliffe said something that is blatantly untrue that Ian Pryor has talked about. He's a former uh, district attorney, and he's a, a Washington operative, and he has a kid in this Loudoun school district, and all of a sudden he's being targeted by these critical race theory advocates. But Terry McCullough says this, cut 29. We don't teach critical race theory. This is a made-up, this is a Trump, Betsy DeVos, uh, Glenn Youngkin plan to divide people. And, and, and it really bothers me. I try to unite people. I want to give every child, regardless of whom you love, the color of your skin, or whom you pray to, a world-class education. I did this before, but that's why parents overwhelmingly support me. I'm going to build the greatest education system, but electing Glenn Youngkin, dividing children, dog whistles, creating racist, I mean, it's horrible what's being done. Meanwhile, the McAuliffe campaign beginning to panic, which is guiding all the Democrats beginning to panic. He's running from Joe Biden, demanding that they forget the $3.5 trillion and go for the $1.2. What does that tell you? It's not popular. The governor's rate, I'm going to read you what he says. The gubernatorial race, this is on Politico today, race careens towards the finish line with just over uh, three weeks to go. Fundraising emails from former Governor Terry McAuliffe and the other Democrats are sounding the alarm. The McAuliffe campaign has tapped the aforementioned big names to sign emails. Biden also urged supporters to chip in because, folks, the Virginia governor race is a big deal, not just for the Commonwealth, but for our country. Our Abrams email, which is, uh, you know, uh, Stacey Abrams, uh, let everyone know. All eyes are on Virginia. McAuliffe emailing his supporters last week with a simple question. Are we blowing this? This guy, he's a political operative. He knows how to make money. He knows how to work. He knows how to get people elected. He knows how himself to get elected. But I'm not sure he understands the public. Nope, Hillary and Bill Clinton don't win today. They don't resonate with the Democratic Party. And with they're so ridden and scandaled, they'll never resonate, period. But 
I think it's very interesting that he's running for the 3.5 because we all hope they run for the 3.5. Republicans would have sat there and watched the high fives for the Democrats as they passed the 1.2. Donald Trump never did this. Donald Trump never got 19 Democrats to join him on anything. They would have had that line, but they choose to walk away from him because they are scared to death what's happening on their left. That's what I think. Now, about what's happening in the country, earlier I said, and I hold to this, that not only is Joe Biden not bringing us together, he's bringing us apart with the mass mandates, with the vaccine mandates, with the demands that we uh, accept that teachers want to stay out of school, with demands that we accept masks for no reason, with demands that we accept that we're leaving. It was going to be uh, the Afghanistan dismount was a big success. Couldn't have, it was going to be messy to begin with. The fact that he has Kamala Harris tells her to go to the border and she goes and uh, talks about space to children. I mean, this is nuts what's going on. And I think when when you had 11 Republicans go across the aisle led by Mitch McConnell, Mitt Romney, John Thune, and just say, I don't want the I don't want us to default on our debt. I just talked to a, a lot of people, and it really would hurt business. The market had dropped 600 points. So I thought Mitch McConnell did the right thing, and he walked up there, and he decided, I'm going to raise the debt ceiling up until December. you got three months to get this thing fixed, okay? Instead, we watched Chuck Schumer go out and vilify, uh, vilify Mitch McConnell for doing it to begin with. And you have that, along with Kirsten Sinema and Joe Manchin, say, reach across the aisle— and passed the bipartisan bill, which you did, but now you're jamming a 3.5 down our throats. You are now, Joe Biden, not even condemning the harassers that are bothering Kirsten Cinema. not only when she goes to the bathroom, not only on a plane, when she gets off a plane. And today, when the Boston Marathon starts in 15 minutes, these, this so-called Green Army will follow her for 26 miles. Now, one thing about activists, they don't usually work out, so they'll have to do a relay. I'm sure they can't even handle a mile with her. So this woman, who happens to start as a congressman, who wants to be a senator, is representing Arizona, is all alone. She can't get Secret Service. She doesn't have anyone even sticking up for her, not even Mark Kelly, sticking up for a woman, jogging, being harassed. Whatever happened to the Me Too movement that was supposed to overcompensate for women who didn't get enough respect along the way? I want you to hear what Chris Christie said about the overall tone and tenor. We pulled this yesterday from This Week with George Stephanopoulos. Let's listen. There's all this talk about people wanting bipartisanship. But there have been two examples, George, of when Republicans have actually come over to help Democrats on, on issues. You've had the infrastructure bill in the Senate. We had 19 Republican senators come with the Democrats. And now you had the debt ceiling, where 10 came to extend the debt ceiling. And both times... Democratic leadership has smacked back at Republicans. On the infrastructure bill, a a, a vote was promised by Nancy Pelosi, and she broke that promise. And now, right after the 10 votes, Chuck Schumer goes to the floor to absolutely excoriate the Republican Party. If we want to encourage bipartisanship, after people actually do it, kicking them in the face is not the way to get them to want to do it again. And what Chuck Schumer did this week is going to make December 3rd a much deeper crisis. It's a sign of his immaturity, and it's a sign of his own concern about his own left. So it's pretty unbelievable, right? The other thing is that it's mysterious that I don't believe these numbers, and this just has less confidence in the polling. Out of nowhere, I looked at Quinnipiac's poll last week, and we talked about it on the show, 38% improvement. 38% approval. It's terrible. I mean, it's terrible. But everything he's done has been terrible, but he's got a compliant press that looks the other way. He has a meet the press yesterday that spent the first 30 minutes talking to Stephanie Grisham, a uh, somebody with no credibility that used to be a terrible press secretary for Trump and her new tell all book. 
Um, and then you have that, and you open up with January 6th and how compliant and complicit Donald Trump was. And if everything going on in the world, no one's talking about January 6th except for everybody else in the press. But it's not the most important. You had job numbers that are terrible, inflation that's plaguing uh, this country. You have a situation where China is threatening to take over Taiwan. The horrible th- situation with so many Americans left behind in Afghanistan. And now you sit there and say, well, January 6th was terrible. Let's talk about that because it involves Donald Trump. Amazing that that would be one of the things they talked about. Then they had somebody watch the Donald Trump rally Saturday, and mistakenly Donald Trump keeps talking about 2020. Nobody cares. We've moved on. And if Donald Trump wants to win in 2024, he will move on. Someone talk to him because it's hurting everybody in his party, and it's not helping him to talk about 2020 or 2016. What are you doing now? What's going to change in 2022? And what what did you do wrong in Georgia that had them lose both Senate races, and that's where in this mess to begin with. But remember, Democrats have to answer for Democrats treating Democrats badly. Democrats have to answer why Joe Manchin put his head in his hands as Joe Man- as as Chuck Schumer vilified Mitch McConnell. Joe Manchin had to sit there, evidently, according to Axios, and watch as Mitt Romney, Susan Collins, and John Thune went after Chuck Schumer afterwards and said, what the hell are you doing? We're trying to bring people together, and you just poisoned the well for the future. So Chris Coons couldn't get himself to really condemn Chuck Schumer, but in the, with the smiley face, you could see he was annoyed. Cut 15. Frankly, I agree with the reasons why Senator Schumer was so frustrated that this standoff over the debt limit was risky, was unnecessary, was a manufactured crisis. Um, but partly why Senator Manchin had his head in his hands was he thinks our leaders should be talking to each other directly. Um, and all of us agree that we need more civility in our Congress and our country. If we're going to solve problems facing the American people, we have to be able to work together. So while I completely understand President Schumer's deep frustration, um, the timing may not have been the best. May not have been the best. Of course it wasn't the best. It was absolutely terrible. one 866 When we come back, I want to talk to you, but I also want to tell you why Columbus Day has got to stand, because history matters. Uh, and it matters because you got to stop in the beginning. And who was there first 400 years ago? It was Christopher Columbus. What did he do? What did he risk? And why do we recognize him? Why did past generations embrace him? We'll discuss it. Not because he was perfect. Not because he didn't make major mistakes and almost end up in jail. But because of the four voyages changed the world. Educating. Entertaining. Enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. The... From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. We have such a soaring murder rate and crime rate in this city it's almost uh, to the point where people have to start arming themselves, ordinary citizens. It is so extreme and so severe. And yet the mayor is spending all this time and all this police activity and so on and so forth concerning a plywood box. Mm. It's, it's utter absurdity. And that's just an example of what's happened across the country. If you're uh, somebody who supports Columbus, you're an Italian, you have to take that statue down. 
Uh, you have to deny that your Italian heritage is proud of Christopher Columbus, who uh, was able to put together a bunch of ships, uh, the Nina the Pinta, Pinta and Santa Maria. I believe, I don't know if this was proven true or not, but they found the Santa Maria off the coast of Haiti uh, sunk. I don't know if they've checked that out, but I remember that story a few years ago. And uh, what he did was extraordinary. What he did once he got here wasn't. But you have to understand, if you read any of these books and you read some of the excerpts and the insight from the logs of Christopher Columbus, when they were traveling, he was convinced the world was round. Not everybody was. And when he gets there, he doesn't know where he is, but he expects us to see a superior culture. Instead, he didn't. We were the superior culture at the time. And that's what he found. And back then, slavery was rampant. And that's the way you treated people. I mean, uh, the war between the Christians and Muslims was raging and the Crusades were, they were fresh off the Crusades. That's what he grew up with. I mean, you got to read some of the things. that people who are just selling their, uh, their teenagers to other families for money, and the first time they would meet each other was the day they were sold off to this other family. I mean, that was commonplace. Do I judge that? No. I study it, and I say, thank goodness I don't live in those times. So you put yourself in these times, and then you say, okay, in those times, would you have done what he did? on a hunch, on a lark, from what you were able to pick up? Would you have spent years studying? Would you have traveled the globe to different capitals and said, believe in me? And when Italy said no, what was uh, what we now know is Italy said no, he found himself in Spain, gets the financing, and he does it. And what he's able to pull off changes the world, so that's why he's got the statues and all the commemorations. There's also a lot of cultures that despise him. But it's worth studying, but know what happened. Do we just take down all remnants of it? We just said this uh, one explorer came across, and he had a bunch of ships, and that was about it. So uh, Gary Kasparov writes about this today. And he said basically when he grew up, his dad was always somebody during the Soviet Union that would say, let me show you the real history. Don't, don't look at what's in your school. And he learned all about Columbus. And he said this. Revisionism has a vital role in history as we discover new information, apply new insights to past events. There should be no place for whitewashing and jingoism in the service of a supposedly patriotic agenda or any agenda. We must teach the good and the bad of our leaders, our founders, our heroes, and our saints. Otherwise, myths about hold too easily, such as uh, the Confederate lost cause, left to fester like an open wound. Its infection has spread in the 21st century. There should be no honoring those who have fought a war to break up the Union, which critically even some of its defenders at that time understood as... As evil. However, if you look at Columbus, and it, he says Columbus yearned to fulfill the prophecy of Seneca, an age old, uh, an age will come. He said this, Seneca, an age will come after many years where the oceans will lose the chains of things and a huge land lie revealed. He believed that there was something else out there and did it. And the analogy that they use was what he did was like going to the moon in the 1960s, only more dangerous. Let Columbus live. Let the statues stand. Let the parades happen. Study him, all aspects, but understand what he did was extraordinary, and we've all benefited from it. Listening to this show. Let the per- per- first perfect person please call 1 866 408 7669. Brett Bear will be calling that line, so he must be perfect. He'll be coming up next, uh, talking about his brand new book. And then at the top of the hour, I'm going to go on outnumbered. Brian Kilmeade Show. Don't move.
Eight new from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. So busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. Let me focus on why those people dropped out of the workforce. It's the high cost of daycare. I have folks who work for me who are paying more for daycare than they are for their mortgage. And the challenge is finding ways to care for our seniors, our children, to provide for a lower cost of health care are exactly why we're now going to move forward with President Biden's Build Back Better agenda. But, but I mean, we do have to put it back. We do have to. Chris, uh, Chris Wallace, really, I don't know if you've watched many of these shows. He's the only one, no matter right or left, he'll find something to test the other person rather than just inquire. And that's he's, he could not even, st- I, to my, my degree, and I'll talk to him on Thursday, he could not even stomach Chris Kuhn saying the jobs reports because of daycare. Are you kidding? You might say it's a factory. He brings up two people in his office, said their daycare costs more than a mortgage. Are they, are they being... Are they being babysat by a prince and princess? I mean, how much could daycare actually be? Daycare is an issue. I get it. And he talked to Harold Ford, very reasonable guy. He's saying right away that daycare and preschool, it would be in his plan. And he's a moderate Democrat. I'm surprised by that. But let's bring in uh, Brett Baer. It's a big week for Brett. He's got a great new book out, To Rescue the Republic, Ulysses S. Grant, The Fragile Union, and The Crisis of 1876, a great special last night. Uh, really wonderfully done. I watched two-thirds of it. I finally fell asleep, Brett, because it was past my bedtime. Uh, but great job. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I mean, you know, the doc unit does a great job. And this time was a little tougher because obviously you're dealing with a time in history where we don't have a lot of uh, moving video. And uh, so, you know, having actors and portraying different things for video, it was really, really well done. And um and it encapsulated the book, which is really what uh, I wanted to do. And now, you know, the book is actually coming out tomorrow after you've promoted, <laughs> you know, two Tuesdays in a row. Right. And it's actually actually going to hit. So that's uh, it will come out tomorrow. And what are you? I saw you were on Colbert already, right? I was on Colbert. Um, I'm on Tucker tonight, which is far bigger than Colbert. It is. And, um, <laughs> yeah. For, and, for our uh, audience. And, you know, I do the Fox uh, stuff. I'm coming up to New York, and uh, I'll pop in the studio up there with you uh, and doing a few other things. But um, I have a live signing on Facebook tonight. Shannon Bream is hosting a little Q&A, which will be fun. And, you know, COVID pared back a lot of the – big things, but I'll be going out to the Reagan Library and giving a speech and Nixon Library and a couple of other stops, as you do too, I know. Yeah, I mean, I got to, every stop is very interesting because like some town, like some cities, it's not, it's not worth it to them uh, because they worry about their crowds and they worry, uh, so I've, I'm going to have more stops than that, but not as much as I usually do, so I spend a lot of time at Fox, I come out November 2nd, but I have no empathy for you. Because you made it easy. Because I started off with George Washington. Secret Six had sketches. I was having to get a sketch. I had to go with spies. I had silhouettes. All right. And then when I found my first photo was Andrew Jackson right before he died. One photo. You're complaining about photos. 
And no, I know. I know. It's pretty amazing. I mean, the history is so rich, and the stuff and the stories, all of your books, I mean, they're right. just such great tales. Um and yet the visuals are a little tough. So I was psyched uh, that the document kind of came up with what they came up with. Yeah. So a couple of things. Uh, first off, I just want to finish up with, with Chris, Chris Kuhn said, yeah. I'm going to come back to your book because it's it just passed where mine is. So a lot of this stuff I didn't even know, uh, especially these presidents that are almost no-name presidents. Uh, you don't hear much about Rutherford B. Hayes, but you should. So And how he got the nomination and everything. So let's talk about what Chris Coons just said. They're trying to spin the jobs report as much better. The economy and the big picture is doing fine. But you can't explain it to people more than anything else. If I tell people, Brett, oh, the deficit's high, they're like, okay, so what? But if I tell people inflation's high, I don't need to tell them. They know. Gas prices are high. They don't need me to tell them. They know. The problem is Joe Biden can't spin his way out of this because we know. We know the reality. Correct? No, that's right. And everybody feels it, feels it at home. They feel it when they go to the gas pump. They feel it when they're going to buy whatever, bacon, uh, any food product is going up significantly. And, and you know, there are other factors. There are other factors that are factoring into the economy and the supply chain and that sort of thing. Uh, but I, I do think that, you know, when, when you listen to Chris Coons or other people, and they say the primary thing is is childcare. It is a thing, and it is serious if you are a family trying to work. But there's a lot of other factors, including what happened with unemployment and what happened with this administration's thinking about that. Um, and what's happening with inflation overall as you're getting ready to pump, potentially, if they passed it, all of these trillions of dollars into the economy. Um, you know, these equations, uh, there are a lot of pushback. Uh, there's a lot of pushback from experts who know a, lot, a thing or two about the economy. Yeah, so uh, Goldman Sachs says uh, his clients are beginning to worry about stagflation, their clients. A combination of subpar growth and elevated inflation, which hasn't been a thing since the 1980s, and the numbers to which you're alluding to is 183,000 Americans dropped out of the workforce, 11 million openings for 7 million unemployed, massive supply chain backups. So you had expectations of 500,000 uh, jobs added, you end up with 194. I don't need you to spin. There's a problem. And you know what? We all know people that could be working and aren't. And we also know people that their their jobs have evaporated. They might have to change careers. I get it. But there's jobs for people out there. So the question is, what's your approach to it? And the one thing about Trump, when he saw a company move, when he saw a major corporation uh, build a manufacturing plant outside our country, that was a problem. Layoff, a massive amount of workers. He would address it. I'm wondering, where's the presidential address on supply chain problems of those cargo ships in California and the ones in Georgia? Why not? If you, if Trump taught you anything, people need, want to know that you're trying when it comes Action. to the border and trying when it comes to the, these cargo ships. Right. Action and not saying something publicly that's 
almost exactly opposite of what everybody sees with their own eyes. And when that happens, it almost exacerbates the political problem because people get mad. They say, wait a second, why are you saying this? You know, Why are you coming out telling me that the sky is blue when it's really a dark cloud? Uh, why are you saying that the unemployment numbers are great because they've stayed so low when in reality it's because so many people are out of the workforce? You know, people are smarter than I think that this administration has given them credit for. And by saying some of the stuff that they've saying, saying not, not only from the White House briefing room, but from various speeches, the border, everything else. You know, I tweeted uh, that, right? What's that? Oh, I'm oh, sorry what? about that. I, I uh, Eric just brought, thought, brought up a great point, and I just answered him while you were talking. My bad. But, oh, that's all right. But, uh, but uh, I, I get it. I get it, and that's what people are saying. But the other thing I want to bring you to is last night while I was waiting three hours for your feature to come on at 10 o'clock last night, I watched <laughs> 60 Minutes. And, and I'm, I was astounded, and I tweeted this out. And I say, I'll paraphrase it. 60 Minutes is to a story about separation of kids from parents at the border, which happened for about over the course of a couple of weeks, thanks to se- then Attorney General Sessions, Okay. Problem. We still haven't found them. Out of all the border issues with the kids that are found, the toddlers found in the brush, crying mm-hmm. in the wilderness, uh, the the tens of thousands of unaccompanied minors on military bases, of the hundred of the thousands under that bridge two weeks ago, the sixty thousand coming up through this uh, through the most some of the most dangerous jungles you can imagine. Out of all the problems, they go back to Trump's issue. Four years ago. Does that astound you? 60 minutes? No, it doesn't astound me because I've seen it before and we're probably going to see it again. What what boggles the mind is that the current crisis, like what we're dealing with now, is so significant. And yet, and, and you know, I had Rodney Scott, the former Border Patrol yeah, chief, great interview. on used last week. week. Yep. Um, and... You know what he was saying, just from leaving in August and and having seven months under his belt under the Biden administration and seeing the change from Trump to Biden and what exactly was being done and not done, the fact that there are millions and millions of dollars of of wall that are just sitting there, and we you know we our drone is flying over this today with Bill Malugin on the border. The fact that these Border Patrol officers are exasperated and they can't get the help, why is that not part of that story? It doesn't have to be the whole story, but why not part of it is this is what's happening and the difference. And it's changing the country significantly. I think if you add 1.5 million people to our country, let alone the gotaways, it's truly unbelievable in a pandemic when they're when they're mad that a nine-year-old might have the COVID virus – they're not upset that 1.5 minimum are coming across our border. 20% on average are sick with something. They're, a lot of them are refusing free vaccines. And you're mad at cops in New York City and San Francisco and in Seattle for not taking the shot. You're suspending or firing teachers in New York City for not taking the shot. There's an incongruity I don't think the American people can wrap their head around. No, and it makes people mad. And then somebody asks them the question, what do you think about President Biden's approval? And they say, 
thumbs down and they're an independent or they're in a suburb of some some place that is an important voting block and suddenly you get these polls where he has a 38% approval rating um or worse among independents now you know polls are polls but the country I think is shifting and this next election that's coming up in November one to watch is the Virginia governor's race which is a bluish purple state uh in recent elections where Terry McAuliffe is having a hard time pulling out a victory I think it's going to be really really close I hear you but to rescue the republic just to just to outline briefly Grant is on the way out but how is he a hero here he uh, organizes and facilitates a grand bargain on the 1876 election, which is is in doubt. There are three states, South Carolina, Louisiana, and Florida, that set up send up two slates of electors because they they are essentially they can't decide because they they allege fraud on one side. The other side says they were coerced, and between. Uh, Rutherford B. Hayes and Samuel Tilden. This is at a time when the country is really, really split and on the brink of falling back into a civil war. And Grant helps facilitate this deal that keeps the union together uh, but gives the presidency to the Republican. There's a lot of nuggets in here that I, I just uh, – I'm excited about the book as people right. read it, um, as, as you know. It's History a, is illuminating. Right. It just had more insight to, and it gives you more perspective on what we're going through now, not nearly as bad. Uh, go pick it up to, to rescue the Republican Ulysses S. Grant, the Fragile Union, and the Crisis of 1876. Congrats, Brett. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Yesterday, President Biden issued a historic proclamation for Indigenous Peoples Day. Biden made the announcement just moments after his staff talked him out of wearing the headdress. Very kind of funny. Uh, the, it was mildly funny. I think he, Colin Jost is good. Uh, Michael Chase, okay, is growing on me. But it's just the, the topics. It's advocate journalism. It's, it's instead of just being fun, everyone's targeted. But you're tired of hearing me say that. I'm just wondering if it's even more to know. More to know. Sponsored by Oxford Gold Group. Call today to learn how you can protect your retirement and savings account. 833-600-GOLD. That's 833-600-GOLD. Well, Kim Kardashian, we've been talking about it all morning. Uh, she boosts the SNL ratings by 23% after the worst watch season opener in show history. And it deserved, didn't even deserve any viewers. It was absolutely terrible. Her October night stint earned a 3.8 household rating and a 1.6 rating in the demo. I mean, if she just tweeted out, I'm on, right there, you you have a few points. I mean, you like said, what does he have, 300 and something, 100 million? Like million yeah. Uh, but followers. is she happy? Gosh. Next. <laughs> uh, Texas gubernatorial candidate says COVID-19 hospitalization made him more dedicated to fighting against the mandates. I'm talking about a good friend of the show, Lieutenant Colonel Alan West. He's not vaccinated. He and his wife, his wife was vaccinated. She's okay. He's been hospitalized. He said this, I can attest to, after the experience, I'm even more dedicated to fighting against vaccine mandates. Instead of enriching the pockets of big pharma and corrupt bureaucrats and politicians, we should be advocating the monoclonal antibody infusion therapy. I guess that's what he got. I, I assume he's okay. I'm, is he supposed to be on with us this week? Yeah, uh, hopefully uh, tomorrow in his normal uh, slot. I'll text him today, see if we get a response. Next, Tyson Fury knocks out to Dante Wilder and in what is an epic world heavyweight tight title fight i bought this my son bought it we both watched together we did not regret it so many knockdowns uh both these guys have great chins but better punches listen the first is uh fury KOing wilder 
Wilder somehow staying on his feet. Taking supernatural strength. Fury throwing that up again. And that And that's it. It's over. Russell Moore waves it off. He's not counting. The Gypsy King is the heavyweight champion of the world. And an all-time great Remember, uh, Tyson Fury got his title by beating Vladimir Klitschko, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. So he beats his title. He holds on to it. Uh, he had a draw with uh, Dante Wilder. The, the boxing desperately needs this. He's 6'9". Wilder's 6'7". Yeah. So these guys, these guys are huge guys, but they don't block any punches. That's the problem. I mean, not only huge, but weight-wise, too, I believe. It may have been the heaviest. Oh, 275 pounds. Yeah. So picture Tyson Fury is the, the big Brit. Uh, he's a six-nine ball guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, had a, some. I guess he suffered from depression and talked about yes. that. Yeah. So here's what he said after the fight. Well, Wilder, by the way, didn't lose anything except the fight. Anyone who watched this could tell this guy's going to be around if he wants to be. I worried about his long-term health because he looked out of it after the early knockdown. Don't you think? Yeah, he looked out of it, and you could see later in the fight he was he was breathing through his mouth, which is a dead bad sign for any fighter you're not supposed to breathe through your mouth he was out of wind so here's fury after the fight and at the end you went over to see him what did you say to him he said well done and he said i don't want to show any sportsmanship or respect i said no problem is that what he said to you yeah, yeah. are you surprised by that very surprised saw a loser an idiot because you're all about respect and he, and he showed guts but not respect that's bizarre do you know what to be a top fighting man you gotta show guts and respect and he couldn't do it tonight Ah, uh, what a shame. Yeah, I'm very disappointed because yeah. I'm a big fan of, I mean, both guys, but Deontay Wilder, who had a tremendous start to his career, and he opened up the fight with a better game plan, but that went right out the window. He fell back right. on one-punch knockout. Next, I don't know if you guys know, but the Beatles broke up. We're still talking about the Beatles breaking up in 1970. I thought we went over this, but evidently Paul McCartney finally wants to tell everyone what broke everybody up in 1970. I didn't instigate the split, says Sir Paul. John Lennon walked into a room and said, I am leaving the Beatles, as he insists he had nothing to do with the group's breakup and wanted the band to continue. Uh, He said Paul noted that after the split, he had agreed. Then manager Alan Klein told him to keep quiet about it so he could conclude some business deals. The hitmaker said this was the reason for the confusion over who instigated the Beatles split. Paul noted it was weird, as despite all band members knowing it was the way the the Beatles ended, they were unable to just walk away. Paul decided to let the cat out of the bag after becoming frustrated by the situation. So, there you go. I That's what happened. Yoko Ono uh, possibly uh, behind pushing John Lennon towards this. You know, I got so much more to say. I think I'm going to go say it on Outnumbered. I'm going to put on some makeup. I'm going to try to look better than I do right now on Fox Nation. I'm going to look better on uh, on uh, Outnumbered. Hey, go to BrianKillMe.com. Pre-order the President Freedom Fighter and see me on the road. The Will Cain Show is now dropping five episodes a week. Join Fox & Friends weekend host Will Cain as he tackles the latest headlines from his unique perspective, along with thought-provoking interviews with leading figures and live calls from viewers and listeners. Listen wherever you download your favorite podcasts. Listen to this show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.